see my Savior's hands. The title says it all. Pastor Will Whedon, author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March, See My Savior's Hands. In pictures and words, we follow Jesus' story by watching his hands, from childhood to his baptism, from his healings and miracles all the way to the cross, from his resurrection to his ascension. We'll see that his hands are always active at work to bring us blessing. Learn more and purchase See My Savior's Hands, a book for children ages 4 through 7 at issuesetc.org. I'm scared. You don't have to be scared of him anymore. He was a sociopath, completely in control of everything. He said that wherever I went, he would find me, walk right up to me, and I wouldn't be able to see him. Are you okay? Someone sitting in that chair. I found something that can prove what I'm experiencing. You need help. Adrian is dead. I went to his house today. He's not dead. I have a pile of ashes in the box that would disagree with you. He has figured out a way to be invisible. The only thing more brilliant than inventing something that makes you invisible is coming up with the perfect way to torture you, even in death. Adrian's true genius was how he got in people's heads. Don't come any closer. Hey! I'm not crazy. Please listen to me. You're saying the person trying to kill you is in the room right now, but we can't see him? He's listening. Where are you? Where are you? Show yourself! Come on! Do it! There you are. That's the trailer of The Invisible Man. It harkens back to a very old book by H.G. Wells. How much connection does the latest version, film version, of that story have with the original? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're going to review the movie The Invisible Man. Pastor Ted Geese joins us. He has a bachelor's degree in fine arts. He's pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. And he teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled The Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. Ted, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. This film and other films in which this character, The Invisible Man, has appeared are sometimes strongly, sometimes loosely, based on the novel by H.G. Wells. What about this one? Yeah, this one is also building off of that H.G. Wells 1897 sci-fi book, The Invisible Man. But over time, the first time that they made this into, I guess one of the famous ones where they made it into a film, was the 1933 James Wales version the invisible man he's also the guy that did frankenstein movies back in the 1930s so that was when they first did it and and that one stuck maybe closer to the book in that what happened is is there like a serum of some sort and the uh, the guy turns invisible and kind of can't turn himself back to not being invisible and then it, it it works in such a way on him that he starts to have a plot to take over the world by kind of a reign of terror like getting things you know that this is what where he was going with it but over time what happened is is that the story kind of the, the terrifying nature would go away and then you'd end up having like abbott and costello meet the invisible man and then they would try to find the like 
different aspects of it to try to like latch back into because it's a fascinating idea. And eventually then it starts to get more and more less about taking over the world and more about what a very successful man might do if he was invisible. And then you get like a movie like Hollow Man with Kevin Bacon from around the year 2000 and he's becoming the monster, but it's still kind of an internal thing where he's the main character. But with this one, it goes that step forward. So this Lee uh, Winnell, who made the film and also was the writer of the screenplay, has taken a, the additional step further and made a twist on it where the guy already was a bad individual who then has this ability to become invisible. And it's really about him and his common-law girlfriend and it becomes like a real um, focused in on um, like a, an obsessive, abusive relationship, essentially. So it's just going from like world domination to controlling your colleagues at work kind of thing, then all the way down to this intimate relationship. So it's kind of being distilled down over time. That's where the story has uh, kind of gotten to at this point with this version of the source material. You say that this film's strength is its tone. What do you mean by that? Occasionally you'll get like a, a film that deals with a social issue. So for instance, this one deals with the very real and challenging, hard and uh, sorrowful situation of domestic abuse and uh, gaslighting and psychological abuse, all that kind of stuff within a, a relationship. And this is a big social topic and it's happening to people in their lives so sometimes you'll get a movie where uh, it's dealing with this but then maybe the tone of the movie is done in such a way that it's not actually going to be helpful for the conversation or it might be using it as a reason to or as an excuse to do things that wouldn't actually fit well or might actually um wreck the point that the film was trying to make if that makes some sense like oftentimes like this when when you get into like this the the genres of things like revenge films or these kinds of films because that's what this is doing it's combining it's a pastiche it's taking the sci-fi element of the invisible man and it's putting it together with some of these other like sub-genres really and with those films, oftentimes they can be exploitative, like they can be exploitation films. So, you know, like if somebody's going to be an invisible man and it's an exploitation film, then they're going to focus on things like, well, an invisible man can sneak in and see somebody in the shower or the invisible man can perpetrate rape, you know, sexual abuse on people because he's invisible, these kinds of things. And what this film does is it takes a tone where it, it doesn't, go for that stuff it it has a serious tone but it's not a preachy tone if that makes some kind of sense too so it's it's not going for the very exploitative kind of end of things and it's also not going for the social justice we're going to clobber you over the head with an idea all the way through because we want to press this theme and change what you think about things it's it's putting together a film where you can identify with the main character and at the same time be at the edge of your seat. And it does this on a number of different levels with the visuals, with the, the way that the story unfolds, with the writing, some very clever 
uses of genre in this kind of pastiche that it puts together. So it's, a, it's actually a pretty uh, sophisticated film, but it, it hits the right tone and in the way that it, it invites people into the story instead of, you know, lecturing them or, or making them feel icky by watching it. You take note of the two settings that the film makes use of, two houses. Why is that striking to you? Well, right from the very beginning of the film, what you get is the character of Cecilia, and she's basically getting away from from her this abusive guy. And they don't really, it just starts in the middle of the night, and she's like, she wakes up and she's escaping from the house. So uh, Elizabeth Moss plays plays the character of Cecilia, and the the house itself is this very austere modernist mansion. Like it's got to be like a a six figure building, and everything is angular and sharp and controlled and hard and harsh visually, and that tells the audience, even if they're not paying like uh, cognitive attention to it on the surface but subliminally even, it's telling the audience something about their relationship. This is the kind of house that they're in. It's, they're rich, you know, they've got a lot of money, but at the same time, it's, it's cold and it's controlled and it's harsh. And, and then she ends up in this kind of suburban home and it's, it's nothing really to write home about. It's a, just a, it's a nice little house and they're doing some renovations in it and everything, but it's, it's, it's warm, the colors are warm, it's, it's your average kind of house, and that contrasts these two relationships, I guess. She has kind of a, a starts off having a good relationship with the police detective and his daughter that are friends of the family that she goes and spends time with while she's having escaped from her uh, abusive ex. And then that's just a kind of a very simple way of making a distinction between what life with this Adrian is like and what life outside of life with Adrian would be like. So this is, they're doing it with visuals as well. The main character thinks initially that he is dead. The abuser is dead. How do they kind of unfold that? Because you named the movie Invisible Man the audience isn't going along on that ride. How did they reveal, at least to the main character through our eyes, that he's not dead? Well, this is where they kind of take it. He, he takes advantage of like the ghost story subgenre, the haunted house subgenre of horror films uh, or spooky films in that Adrian is this, um, the abusive ex uh, common law spouse is this uh, optical, genius when it comes to scientific development. So he's made this suit that allows him to stalk around unseen. And the audience suspects this, knows this. If you saw a trailer, you certainly would know this. But the character of Cecilia doesn't really completely understand the work that he does, I guess. She's living in the house and she's being controlled by him. We hear in backstory that this is what's going on. But he's in that suburban house with them. So this is where that kind of ghost story haunting kind of thing, the genre of it, the kind of things you'd find in that genre start to come into play. So, But it's not a ghost. It's a guy in a suit, but he's invisible. So the knife on the table gets uh, like moved or you know, she steps out of the room and the, what she's cooking on the stove, the burner gets turned up so it catches on fire. But it's not a ghost doing it. 
you know, the blankets get pulled off the bed, but who's doing it? I can't see anybody. And then it plays on that kind of sense of, you know, like there's somebody watching me, but is there somebody, is, is, is there something there? And in, in this case, the audience knows that, yes, there is something there. It's, it's this X in this suit and he's there to terrorize and to psychologically disturb her because part of the, it's all about control. So when he faked his death, then he sets it up. So she gets $5 million and she gets it in monthly installments, but it's contingent on her not perpetrating a crime and on her having a good mental clean bill of psychological health. So then he spends all of this time poking and prodding and causing her to feel like she's going crazy inside her own home where she should be the most safe. And it's all that kind of stuff. So eventually she really knows that he's there because the blanket's on the floor and she can see his footprints on the blanket and she tries to pull it and the blanket won't move. So she has hard evidence that there's somebody, somebody standing on that blanket essentially and then the question is will anybody believe her you had mentioned that term gaslighting of course that comes from a very famous play mm-hmm. that's that's the name of the play gaslight yep. and it literally in the play is a husband who is playing with the gas that's how they would light their homes in that day yep. and trying to make his wife think she's insane he's I, if i remember correctly he's having an affair with someone else at the time and trying to drive his wife crazy. Now, that's kind of the term of art nowadays politically, but mm-hmm. how much does this film, The Invisible Man, lean upon that play? Well, just in the terms of what, what gaslighting is, I guess. like that, That's where it would be mostly. And I mean, it is, like they're not married, they're a common law couple at best, but this idea that to make the other person doubt what's going on, or like to put them in a situation where they they would be considered to be crazy by other people. You know, like this is what happens in this film. So she goes through like not sure of herself, not sure of what's going on. And even when she's talking about what her life was like with this Adrian before she escaped, she was undergoing extraordinary gaslighting in terms of like she wasn't able to have her own thoughts. He was thinking her thoughts for her he was so in her head and making her doubt her own self that, um, you know, at every turn she was, she was trapped. And uh, that's part of what that gaslighting is like. And sadly people don't need to have an invisibility cloak to make that happen. Like there, there are people who will do that with their boyfriends, girlfriends, family members, husbands, wives, right now and then the the thing is if somebody is trapped in that how do they get out of it if they start to explain this to somebody will people believe them and that's a big element of of this film we are reviewing the movie the invisible man pastor ted geese is our guest he teaches a course for concordia lutheran theological seminary titled a lutheran approach to art media and film how does the plot resolve itself we'll answer that question next like we always do Saturday night at the movies Who cares what picture you see 
Have you ever wondered if your investments could do more? I mean, a whole lot more. This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. When you invest with us, you not only earn a competitive interest rate, but your investment goes to strengthen Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations through low-cost loans and services. To learn more, visit lcef.org backslash invest101. Lutheranism in the public square. You're listening to Issues Etc. Your sun-bleached felt church banners have seen better days. Held together with staples and superglue, they are a monument to Aunt Mabel's pastel-toned creativity from 1960. But it's time for a refresh. Ad Crusom has the solution that doesn't even need a Sharpie. We proudly offer Scapegoat Studios creations as well as Ad Crusom's original banners. Come and browse our wide selection of seasonal church banners. We also create banners and church signs to your design. Visit adcrusom.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. Custom to get a birthday card or a Christmas card. What about an Easter card? Send your loved ones not only a card that tells them I'm thinking about you at this time of the year, but also proclaims the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the reason Easter is the joyous season that it is. You'll find a selection of Easter cards at adcrucem.com. That's A D C R U C E M.com. Pastor Geese, with a spoiler alert in place, how does the plot of The Invisible Man resolve itself? I guess you could kind of think about it like this. There's, again, because this is a pastiche of genres, it's not just a sci-fi film. It's not a horror film. In fact, the ratings board in Canada had a real hard time figuring out what to do with this because there's no nudity. It's not like a movie that's got smoking and stuff. Like These are the kinds of things that would give you an R rating, right? There are some moments of brutal violence. There's a couple of times where people get their throats cut and it's gruesome. But what happens in Canada then is that in some provinces, it's 14A. Some provinces, it's, it's 18A. Some, it's like 13 plus. It's all over the board because they don't know what to do with it. In the United States, it's rated R with the MPAA. But it, what happens in the end is that she gets, Cecilia gets revenge. So she ends up able to confront Adrian and she she uses the, a suit that she's had tucked away and hidden and she then in kind of a an invisibility suit goes and makes it look like he cuts his own throat in order to end his life so she can carry on with hers. So this is, um, you know, lethal, quote unquote, self-defense kind of. It is certainly premeditated. It's not quite the same. Do you remember the movie Dolores Claiborne? It was like a Stephen King book that was turned into a movie with Kathy Bates. And there was this moment where her husband was falling down a well and she could rescue him, but she knows that he's been abusing their daughter. So she decides not to and lets him fall. It's not like that. She, in this movie, she actually just chooses to go instead of like, exposing the whole thing and getting him arrested and putting him in jail, she decides to go and finish him off herself. And then the last frame is her walking away from the house. And she's committed this, this murder essentially. And this is a, like a problematic thing for Christians. Like 
this is not new. You find this in all sorts of movies. Oftentimes people will put their characters into predicaments where they, they're kind of forced to do it. So a movie like um, Sleeping with the Enemy with Julie Roberts, you know, it, it concludes with the abusive partner being killed by Julie Roberts. That's the way that ends. And they put it like in a high tension kind of a situation or even like a more recent one with uh, Jennifer Lopez called Enough, which is again about an abusive relationship and the abuser being killed by the one who's being abused. So this, this happens over and over again in films. This isn't a new thing, but that's the way this film ends as well. And some people, it doesn't sit with them very well. There's other people who feel a sense of satisfaction that the, the villain has gotten his. That, that's not the way we are asked to deal with things and what, what scripture says to us about that. So that ending and then the, the, the plot element that kind of raises that question, what would you do if people thought you were dead and you could get away with anything invisibly? That seems to kind of raise that question for the, the Christian viewer that, you know, what would you do if there were no consequences to your action? Like in this case, she could walk away at the end of the film and no one could charge her with murder because everyone thought he was dead already. Well, what happens is, is that he does actually like, I mean, we're spoiling some things. So not only the ending, but a little bit near the third beginning of the third act, it's revealed that he's not dead. So people know that he's not dead, but she kills him in a way that looks like it's a suicide. And he had, he had faked his death like it was a suicide in the first place. And then she kills him in a way that looks like a suicide. But you're right. She, the, the impression is, is that she's now gotten away with it. And she got away with it because of that suit. The same suit, by the way, the same, like a, a second suit of the same kind of suit that he was using to terrorize her. And this is where you like, you can only, you know, write so much. So this, I didn't cover this in, in the written review, but there's a way in which sometimes these films fall apart. So if like, if we think back to like a movie, like the, the Ghostbusters movie where they had like all of the women in place of the men, right. And the people who made the film, I guess, live in a world in which the original Ghostbusters films were like super sexist, I guess, I guess. And, and what they did is they took that whole scenario and they took uh, Chris Hemsworth who plays Thor, <laughs> you know, they put him as the, the secretary for, or the assistant for the Ghostbusters. And then they do all of these dumb blonde jokes with him. If you're making a movie that's about being better than, than what came before you, if, if that's what your, if that's your idea, then you can't fight sexism with sexism. Do, you know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's, that's where there's sometimes there's a problem with that. And that's why one of the reasons why I find this ending problematic. I mean, one of the reasons is, is because, you know, St. Paul quotes the old Testament and, and, and says, vengeance is mine. I will repay says the Lord. So Christians are not to take personal revenge. That's not the way we're to operate as Christians. It, that is to be absolutely avoided in all costs. You know, even if it's a terrible situation like this situation and one that didn't require a, you know, a invisibility suit. But, you know, like it, that's why this is kind of, for me, it's a, it's a problematic ending. Otherwise the film kind of gets a really good tone. It's serious. It's a mature look at this. It doesn't, it doesn't go for exploitation. It doesn't go for laughs or for strange 
stuff like that. I'm also curious, just as in terms of the acting, obviously the character who plays the abusive husband literally does not appear on film for much of this film. No, no. Uh, so what's it, what's it like kind of watching this actor and when he does appear, but what's it like watching a film where the guy's not there? Everyone's acting against him, but he's not there. Right, yeah. So uh, the guy's name is Oliver Jackson Cohen. And yeah, he's not really in the film very much. But what they do is, again, they use camera work and stuff to like make it. It's not just that they're kind of like if he's in the room and he's terrorizing her, like when they're in the suburban house and, and everything, they do some of the kind of special effects kind of things that you might expect where you know, she's being pulled across the room and there's nobody there pulling her, but you know that there is because he's invisible, etc. But then they also do these lingering shots where all of a sudden you realize that the camera is not really the camera, it's him looking at her. You're looking at her through the eyes of the perpetrator of the abuse, right? So it, in that way, it, it there's this unsettling kind of creepy quality. So they're building this character through dialogue and through through how she's responding. So for instance, like she escapes and she's in that house and she doesn't even want to leave the house. So this is a great example of hypervigilance. Like she can't even go to the edge of the, the street to go get the mail. And if she did, it's a huge success, right? And that tells you something about this character. So they're building the character, but they're not giving him much of a voice because he doesn't even... Like he's invisible, but he wouldn't be silent, right? So if he's like chatty and talking, that would give away that he's there. And part of it is, is he wants to, you know, drive her crazy or have people think that she's crazy. So that has to be, you know, he's trying to, as long as humanly possible, not let people know that he's actually around, letting them think that maybe it is all in her head or something else. Just in terms of the the technical, the CGI, all the things that are employed now to make a film like this, how effective is it? This kind of like making something invisible was uh, a hard thing to do years and years and years ago. And even that movie with Kevin Bacon, Hollow Man, like that was a step forward, right? With the CGI and everything. This, it's, it's not so unusual. You might, like this could be an episode of Black Mirror or something like that. Or, you know, you could see this kind of thing on a Star Trek show or different things like that. So this is not a, a complicated trick for them to do with the CGI, but they do a really good job with it. And and really this movie had like a a seven million dollar budget. So it's it, this like these special effects don't break the bank. And the other thing that they're doing is they're they're not really having to do the special effects all the time. Because they're doing things like, I don't know if you remember when we were talking about the movie The Conjuring, but there was a scene with the ball in the basement and the ball just goes into the dark corner and then the ball gets thrown back out of the dark corner. Well, I saw that in the theater and everybody in the theater jumped and there, it didn't require any special effects. It's just like somebody in a dark corner throwing a ball out and, <laughs> and it was enough. So some of the things that they do are not things like the camera work like I was talking about and some of these other things are not the kind of things that are super expensive to do. But they do a really, actually, a, a quite a good job with it in this film. Any cautions for who might see this film from a pastoral perspective? 
you know, when, when it comes to this kind of thing, like it, it, at the very least, like I was talking about, this is a more mature look at this story, like this kind of a thing. What happens is, is that sci-fi or horror films and things like this, thrillers, suspense films, they can often be, particularly when it has a sci-fi element like this, they can kind of be a metaphorical tool by which to talk about like a, a serious topic. And I think that this does a good job at that. I think that people who have particularly gone through, if, if this, the trauma of all of it has been, is fresh for them, they may have a very hard time watching this. If they themselves are stuck in some sort of a relationship like this, it might be encouragement for them to get out of it. I don't know. But I would say that, you know, like some of the moments are brutally violent it does give the impression that in the end, if you know, it would maybe quote unquote give permission to or to the idea that you might want to like use lethal force against your abuser. I would say that that would be a bad message to take from this. I think the better thing to consider from having watched this in terms of a pastoral kind of suggestion to anybody who's seen it or anybody who might see it is that if you have people in your life who are in situations where they're being gaslighted and or like psychologically physically abused controlled and they start reaching out to you even if that the person perpetrating it is a super nice guy or a super nice lady and everything seems good in the community if they're reaching out to you hopefully this is the kind of movie that would help somebody be encouraged to listen to take what they're saying seriously so my caution is, is like, don't watch this movie and then just file it away. Maybe think about some of the, the topics in it and keep your eyes peeled because somebody might reach out to you. And when that happens, maybe you need to be the person to take it all really seriously. You can read Pastor Ted Geese's review of The Invisible Man at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Pastor Ted Geese has a bachelor's degree in fine arts. He's pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. And he teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. Ted, thanks. Thank you. In hour two of Issues Etc. on this Thursday afternoon, it'll be part two of our series on the teachings of the Quran. Today we'll talk about Islamic theological anthropology, that is their view of man. What is man? Is he sinful? Is he born sinful? Is he born anything? Dr. Adam Francisco will be our guest. Then we'll go through listener email and the Issues Etc. listener comment line. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., PO Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.